It was back in January of 2007 that Apple CEO Steve Jobs spoke prophetic words to the attendees at the Macworld conference. Jobs famously said, every once in a while, a revolutionary product comes along that changes everything. He was talking about the smartphone, a device that has changed just about everything. Stick with us as we have a Youth Worker Roundtable conversation about the latest findings on teens, tech, and social media on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Youth Culture Matters. I'm Walt Mueller here at the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you are familiar with us, you know what we do. If you're not familiar with us, I want to tell you that our mission statement is that we endeavor, we our purpose is to increase the ability of home and church to nurture children and teens into a lifetime of biblically faithful whole life Christian discipleship. And so if you go to our website, cpyu.org, you will find a growing uh, amount and catalog and archive of all sorts of resources that you can use to bring the gospel to bear, the truths of God's word, the light of scripture, to bear on the realities that exist in today's world. And it is a world that is changing fast. I hear this all the time as I'm out speaking to parents and speaking to youth workers as they're scratching their head and wondering, you know, what what's happening? What's here now? They don't understand that. And then they ask what's coming next. And who knows, right? So, uh, but we want to stay on the front edge of this. We believe that if we want to lead kids into a faith that is integrated into all of life, what we call whole life Christian discipleship, we need to know what's happening in the world and how the gospel speaks to that so that we can affirm and celebrate those things that we find in the culture that line up with God's will and way for our lives. And so we can also challenge and correct those issues in the world, those those ideas, those beliefs that lead to behaviors that undo us and and do not agree with the truths of God's Word or His desire for what it means for us to be followers of Him. So this conversation today will reflect that. I'm very excited. We're going to talk a bit about some of the latest that's going on in the world of technology um, and smartphones. Our kids are engaged with those things, as you'll hear, and we know that there are great things about technology um, you know, wonderful things in terms of technology being tools for us, and there are ways as well that technology is not a benefit, but rather could take away from uh, the goodness of life and, and our human flourishing and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So to have this conversation, and we're going to update you on, on a lot of uh, what we've heard is going on in the world of technology and smartphones, but I've invited in three of our dear friends here. We also call them CPYU Research Fellows. These are boots-on-the-ground youth workers who uh, they're just doing a great job where they are, good thinkers as well. So Kerry Trumpio's here, Tim McAlpine, Jason Engel. I know if you're a faithful listener to our podcast, whether it's this or the Word in Youth Ministry, you're familiar with their names as we bring them on from time to time, and certainly that's why we have them here today. So uh, they are with students, with parents, and we are going, as we talk about what's happening in the world 
of technology and smartphones. We're not just going to talk about what's happening, but we want to offer suggestions and insights, maybe not exhaustive, but on what you can do in your home if you're a parent or in your youth ministry if you're doing uh, youth work with students, what you can do there uh, to lead your kids into making good decisions about smartphones and technology. So, um, you know, one of the things we like to do here is maybe have a little fun, get to know each other a little bit. So I'm going to fire a question to everybody uh, just to hear from you. And the, the question is this. This is a great, great question to ask people, especially if they're older, right? Uh, and I'm the oldest person in the room. Uh, but what was the name of the first album you ever bought and who was it by? The first album you ever bought and who was it by? So I don't know who wants to go first. And I'm going to ask Chris to weigh in here as well, Chris Wagner, um, just because he sits here and people need to get to know him as well. But I don't know. any. Do any of you know off the top of your head what it was? I know I know what mine is. I'm having a hard time with the name, but I remember the, the band. Jason, you're shaking your head yes. What was it? Yeah, so um, it was um, the, the first album that I ever bought with my money uh, was That's just right. after I received one of the greatest Christmas presents ever, which was my Discman. You remember those? Those yeah, lasted yeah. like six months. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I had to have CDs to fill that, and I owned zero CDs. So um, took my own money that I'd gotten for Christmas and went and bought the Boys to Men 2 album. That was my very first purchase ever. Now, that's a good choice. That's a good choice because, you know, those guys, they're, they're good musically, and they're from Philadelphia. That's right. So I had to support Motown yeah. Philly. Yeah, there you so, go, you Motown know. Philly. I, and I love that song. I love that song. Yeah. If I could dance, I would dance to it. Don't <laughs> don't try to envision that in your mind. But yeah, that's great. That's a good choice. Carrie, do you know what uh, yours was? Yeah, mine is kind of in the same lane as Jason's, but a few years down the road, it was a Backstreet Boys. I knew it. CD. Yeah. <laughs> they were also my first concert. I was big into Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Was there? Did you have a favorite Backstreet Boy or? Brian. Brian. Sure. Okay. Yeah. What's Brian doing now? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> okay. All right. Because I think they're they're getting ready to uh, to hit the road again. Did I hear that? Something's up with the Backstreet Boys, and they're going to. Come There's back this out. whole boy band resurgence. Yes. You know, going on. Yeah. yeah. See, and that that really makes me feel old because <laughs> you know um, what, what goes like the oldies for me was you know two to three decades before I was a teenager myself. And now the oldies for me are the oldies that you guys are listening to are from when I was an adult, so it does make me does make me feel a little bit a uh, little bit old. Hey, here's a here's a quiz question for you. Um, Christian music always tries to duplicate what's big in the world of popular music. Do you guys remember the first? I, I think it was the first quote unquote Christian boy band. You know the the one that like was to sell the Christian records. That was plus one. That's right. You're Jason. It's the you're, best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you got funny it. story on that. Um, a, a group of guys and I were were doing a talent show, but it was supposed to be like a funny talent show, and we all decided to lip sync to a song by Plus One. And there were five of us, and we were like doing this mock dance with folding chairs, and we named ourselves Minus Five. <laughs> That's good. I I, I get it. <laughs> It took me a second, but I get it. Yeah, that's good. Is there any is there any evidence of that that's floating around anywhere? Any video evidence or 
I sure hope not. Yeah. Well, if you find it, let's we'll we'll do a video podcast because that would be fun to see that. We this is what like us older guys in youth ministry. A lot of the uh, video stuff was new when we were early on, and because of that, there's a lot out there. When I'm with Duffy Robbins, we are looking at clips of our friends, and there's some great ones of Duffy as well that are just really funny and embarrassing. So yeah. Hey, Chris Wagner, come on, you. I know this has got to be like. Yeah, so talking about the, some CCM, uh, Gaither, uh, Gaither vocal band. Well, it might be, it might be worse. I don't know. Yeah. The I'll say that the first two CDs, because I'm about the same age, same age as Jason. So the first two CDs that I got, they were I, this was not CDs that I purchased. Uh, one was a Michael W. Smith album. I couldn't tell you what album it was off the top of my head. But the other one was Carmen, a Carmen CD, <laughs> the Riot CD. If uh, For those of you who know, yeah, you'll remember yeah, yeah. very well. Uh, yeah. yeah, so un- I- I'd say, unfortunately, those are the two, uh, the first two CDs that were purchased for me for Christmas one year. Um, once I was able to start spending my own money on CDs, one of the first albums, I can't remember if it's the first, but one of the first albums was Upbeats and Beatdowns by Five Iron Frenzy. Okay, yeah. And you just, you just, didn't you just go to a concert last Saturday night? Uh, that was MXPX. Okay. Uh, my first MXPX album that I remember purchasing was Slowly Going the Way of the Buffalo. Okay. All right. I didn't realize you were such a, such a music encyclopedia. <laughs> I love it. pretty, pretty amazing. All right. Tim, now I'm going to make a guess here. You're going to move, living in Calgary, are you going to move into Canadian country music? Uh, no chance, no. Okay, all right. Uh, I so, thought you'd say Paul Brandt. <laughs> no, so, I mean, I like I I don't remember what order they, so I just need to give three because so okay. one, of, one, one of them would have been DC Talk Jesus Freak. That was, mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. in there. But then I remember my brother buying MC Hammer and us having a dual deck tape deck, and you could record from one tape to another. And this is a confession. Who uh, would pilot that? Was. And then that was yeah. yeah. Uh, but then, but then my first purchase with my money of a CD would have been the Collective Soul. Uh, oh just yeah, their self-titled album in like 1995 or whenever it was. Yeah, I had that. Yeah. I had that. So, mm-hmm. so you're not into country music at all, or? I'm not a, uh, yeah. I'm not opposed to okay. you know uh, right. I got a buddy Tyler Joel Miller who's who's doing good stuff up here but uh, I I kind of like I like everything I would yeah. say uh, it's, although some of the more current music I I don't know if like you were less. there but I remember being at uh, one of the Canadian Youth Worker conventions and Marv Penner was getting me all excited because uh, Paul Brandt was coming in and I I said who's Paul Brandt and he said he's the Canadian Garth Brooks. Yeah, he's he's an Albertan. Oh he yeah, coaches uh, he coaches basketball at Bears Paw Christian, uh, which we compete against. So he'll come to our gym, and then we all stand off in the corner and watch awkwardly. But yeah, yeah, nice guy. You're, you're like star-crossed or a well, bit, I, that's yeah. yeah. Like I don't really care that much. Yeah. it's it's but yeah, he well, listens to the podcast, so I. Speaking of music encyclopedias, uh, connecting uh, country music and collective soul, if you want to go that way, uh, Dolly Parton has a cover of Shine, uh, which is not exactly the song you'd expect to hear, but uh, you wouldn't expect her to cover that, but she does. Why am I disappointed that you know this? It's troubling to me. 
We'll have to talk about this afterwards. But Let's do good. that. Yeah, yeah, okay. So mine was, uh, I can't remember the title of the album, but I do have a little trivia qu- uh, question about this band. I don't know if anybody remembers The Grassroots. Remember? Did you ever, did you ever hear The Grassroots? Okay. They sang songs like Temptation Eyes and Sooner or Later and, you know, Love is Gonna Get You. And um, I played all that on vinyl. It was great. Are you familiar with them? Oh, yeah, I'm singing it in my head right now. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's troubling too. Um, but the... Uh, yeah, so the grassroots now. So I have a I have a question for you. There is um, I'm gonna like help you here with this a little bit. You all know the TV show The Office. One of the cat one of the car- one of the actors on The Office was actually a member of the grassroots. Creed. That's it. You got it. How'd you yeah. know that, Carrie? I'm a big Office fan. Oh, you are. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember what he played, but. You know, you look at him now and you're going, how was how was he in a band that I thought was just incredibly awesome? Yeah, so Creed, Crazy Creed, Creepy Creed on uh, The Office was a member of the grassroots. All right, okay, so this is fun. Um, you know, John Barry's in here with us too, so I'm going to ask you, and I think Chris is going to get the mic hot for you there. What about you, John? John's working here with us now at CPYU. You'll get to know him, all of you. Yeah, so uh, a couple of albums. Probably the first one, which I don't think I actually bought, was Jars of Clay. Okay. If you remember. Okay, CCM, you said Jars you didn't Clay. actually buy it. It was a gift. It was a gift. Okay, I, I thought made. maybe yeah. you stole it. No, yeah, yeah. You yeah. illegally copyrighted it. Like No, I was actually yeah. purchased. I, I okay, won't good. say yeah, I, okay. I have a clean record when it comes okay. to that sort of stuff. Okay. But yeah, Jars of Clay was probably first. Um, I remember distinctly being in Walmart and desiring to buy the Britney Spears album. (laughs) And the shame from my family kept me from doing so. So I'm grateful for that shame. There's a, there's a place for that kind of shame. Yeah. (laughs) That was, yeah. I I wish I had, I I wonder if there's video footage of that interchange. That would have been good. There may be. Security. Yeah. There, there may be. Um, so the, the first album I actually bought was the self-titled, self-titled album from Third Eye Blind. Okay. All right. Yeah. Which I still like actually. Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you all uh, come to our office here ever, there's a lot of stuff sitting around that uh, we probably should throw in the garbage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you remember a few years ago when we were cleaning out the studio here? Oh, yeah. We threw out trash bags full, large trash bags full of VHS tapes. VHS, of yes. Records. We, we did save some, and, and there's a lot of uh, DVDs over here behind me on a shelf. And in my room, I have a whole thing of CDs up there that, I just never touch, and I wonder, you know, maybe someday they'll be like vinyl and valuable. But hey, we said we, that about vinyl, right? It's never going to be valuable, but now it's now it's it is a big deal. Yep, yep. Okay, good. All right, so we get to know each other a little bit. That was a little bit of a conversation about technology and some of the things that we uh, we love. But I want to talk about, um, you know, let's transition into talking about some of what we're learning about social media and technology and its influence on our kids. And I asked these these folks to give a look at a couple of things that are online that, that you can all access as well if you're listening. I think it's worthwhile if you're working with parents. These are some great sources of statistics and information that you can pass on to parents. We're certainly going to pass a lot of this on in some of our resources here at CPYU. But the two documents that we pointed to that were more overarching and larger, one was uh, the 2023 social media 
and Youth Mental Health, a U.S. Surgeon General's Advisory, which has a lot in there. We're going to hit that a little bit. And then also the Pew Research Center, and we'll put links up in the show notes to, uh, to these so you can access them easily. The Pew Research Center, which is a great source for statistical things on teens and technology. Uh, for a long time, there was the Pew Internet and Life Project. I'm not sure if that's still going, but this certainly would fall in that. They have a report titled Teens, Social Media and Technology 2023. And uh, the subtitle is YouTube, TikTok, Snapchat, and Instagram remain the most widely used online platforms among U.S. teens. And so we'll hit some of that as well. But I want to start with this um, because we do want to talk about benefits and dangers. But I think this is germane to the conversation that right at the beginning, the opening paragraph of the Surgeon General's advisory has a page called, well, it's a page called About the Advisory. Let me read this first paragraph. Why is there an advisory? And it says this, a Surgeon General's advisory is a public statement that calls the American people's attention to an urgent public health issue and provides recommendations for how it should be addressed. Advisories are reserved for significant public health challenges that require the nation's immediate awareness and action. And we've been saying here for a long time, anything new that comes down the pike, we have to think about and address. There needs to be action of some sort. So, uh, we're going to talk about that. Let, let me start with this, because I, I think it's always fair to, to we don't want to demonize everything, because there's so many good things about technology and social media. So let me ask the three of you, um, you know, from where you sit as someone doing youth ministry and family ministry, what are some of the benefits of social media, smartphones, technology that you've seen and you've been able to leverage perhaps in your ministry or you've seen in the lives of your students? I'll start just by saying we, um, you know, we we've just dealt with this 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 week, and in the past few weeks, we are preparing to take our students on a winter retreat this uh, weekend. And due to some things that happened last year, we've made the decision to be phone less this weekend. Um, and uh, so we we talked through that and weighed the pros and cons. Um, and you know, on, on one hand, it allows our students to be able to truly get away, not only from their physical context here, but be able to step out of just, you know, um, just being consumed by the devices in their hands. And I think there's something to that. But, you know, even as we talked through that, um, some some positives came to the forefront. Um, and one of the things was we, you know, we, we lamented a little bit the fact that we will not get to see from the student's perspective so much how they enjoyed the weekend. Mm. Um, you know, that's part of the language that they speak. Um, they're taking pictures and making posts of things that uh, stand out to them. And, you know, as far as that goes, from an evangelistic standpoint, they have a circle of influence that are watching their social media accounts. And, you know, there's there's not going to be that opportunity for them to be posting during the weekend to share with students who are not in church uh, what they're learning this weekend and, and how that's applying and about their relationships they have within the church. Um, so I think that those can be very positive things, and even to the extent that we're we're a little bit sad that we're not going to be able to see that this weekend. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's that's a great thought. I would not have thought of that as a a wonderful benefit of that. So, uh, can I push uh, you know, respond to that a little bit, Jason? And just ask you: um, Are you free to share what happened last year, or what you know, in maybe some general ways, what some of the concerns were? That led to this yeah, so decision. last year, last year we had a situation where some pictures were sent uh, to a couple of the 
the devices that uh, a couple of young men had. Um, and for a little while afterwards, just trying to figure out what had happened, because we didn't know that it happened right then and there. Um, you know, for a little while, we were afraid that it was somebody at at the retreat that were sending pictures to the young guys. It ended up being somebody who wasn't even there. Um, but that was then shared, you know, visibly with the other guys around and uh, just caused some, you know, some difficulty for us to deal with in the wake of last year's retreat and left kind of a sour taste in our mouth from from what was a really good weekend. And so this year we just decided to eliminate that, that possibility. Yeah. So uh, a teachable moment that you would probably rather not have had because it got in the way of other teachable moments that you would plan to have. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah. Carrier Tim, uh, benefits. I'm, um, I'm grateful that we're starting from this place um, and that you're asking this question, Walt, because I think sometimes um, it, whether it's the headlines or things, we only view social media or technology as a negative um, thing. And, and I just, I don't think that's the case. Um, and just a couple of examples in, in our own ministry, um, we have, um, it's, been really cool to watch some of our um, students that have gone off to college keep in touch um, with our kids that are still in high school um, and for them to you know have these group chats from our mission trip this summer that are still so active um, and they will you know sometimes it's just like goofy stuff but sometimes they'll send like a prayer request if something's going on um, on campus or something like that and just um, really encouraged that our students can keep in touch, um, especially where um, they're not seeing each other on a regular basis. Um, you know, they're not passing each other in the halls to say hello. Um, and yeah, so I see yeah. that as a real gift for our ministry. That's good. Good. Th- these are good examples of what we want to drive or recognize and then drive and teach as redemptive uses, uh, you know, of the tools that we've been given. Tim, what about you up there at the school? Yeah, so I mean, I think for sure, just even the uh, uh, the the safety element that I think having phones can bring in um, with kids out and about, uh, being able to keep in contact with parents. I've heard that before. The reason my kid has a cell phone is so that I can keep in touch with them and got them on my Find My app, and I can see where they are. Um, and then I I think. For, uh, I mean, even, even you know, as a parent of kids that are in youth at our church, uh, the bus is running late coming back from an event and we're getting text messages from our youth pastor saying, hey, we are on our way, which I try to think back to when we were in youth, that must have driven parents crazy. Um, and, I th- and I do, I think there is an element of connection that I, I, I tend to be hypercritical of, but that kids are, you know, there is some connection that's happening with their phones and and the opportunity ministry opportunities to connect with kids in a an immediate fashion can be redemptive doesn't have to be bad uh, but uh yeah those would be a few things that we're seeing yeah. here yeah we can misuse anything right and uh we in our brokenness and our sinfulness we certainly uh have a default setting towards that so we have to be aware of that that's part of the training you know that we need for ourselves and for our students i you know as you were talking there uh tim i was thinking about I was just telling someone this story the other night at dinner. They were asking about my 10-year-old grandson who was diagnosed four years ago with type 1 diabetes. And, you know, so he, everywhere he goes, very active, normal 
kid. Everywhere he goes, he has a string backpack on, his kit, which is filled with snacks um, if his sugar goes low, filled with insulin uh, and other, you know, needles and things. If his, uh, and he can give himself shots, you know, if his sugar goes high, um, you know, his caregivers, if he's at school, you know, that sort of thing. And with that, he wears, I mean, this is technology. He wears uh, a Dexcom, which monitors his uh, sugar and goes to a phone device. And he wears also a, a pump. I forget what that's called. But the pump will, you know, and they're changed regularly, um, can regulate the, the flow of insulin into his body. And it's done manually with an, another phone. So in his kit, he carries two smartphones, one for the Dexcom and one for the pump. And then he's 10 years old. He and his sister, they're twins, and they just started a new school, a private school. Uh, so their bus ride is about an hour each way. And they both are wearing Apple Watches now, which you would never want to do that with a 10-year-old kid. You know, give them, give them full access to those things. Um, but the Apple Watches are what keeps them connected to mom and dad uh, when they're on the bus. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't know what, you know, be able to monitor the blood sugar. And if we, on Lisa and I, on our phones, we have an app, you know, that we can monitor and see what his blood sugar is at any given moment as long as he's, you know, connected to Wi-Fi or, you know, within range. So... You know, so that kid, I mean, 10 years old, he's about, I'm, that's five devices, you know, that he's got with him all the time. So, you know, we're grateful for that technology, which keeps him keeps him going. Well, let's let me ask this um, and just kind of a general flyover before we take our first break. What with the Surgeon General's report, which is what I asked you to read first and look at what was it that as a as a youth worker, as you know, people are doing youth ministry. What jumped out at you the most? Where you said, "Man, this I'm concerned about this," because this was an advisory, and about some of the negative benefits. But what jumped out at you um, that you're going, "Man, I gotta somehow think about this and address this, either with students or parents or with both." Yeah, I can jump in. I uh, for me, I I think, and it wasn't. I mean, it shouldn't have been as shocking as it was to me, but just the, the amount of time, the average amount of time that's being spent um, on social media in particular, which, you know, being three and a half hours a day, and that's from 2021. So I would assume that that's gone up uh, just with the way things have trended or been trending, pardon me. And I think for me, even as a parent uh, of teenager and preteen, uh, I think there's probably a lack of awareness. There should, you know, for me, there needs to be a, I read that stat and I go, man, there needs to be more urgency, even in me, in my own home. And how am I not being an alarmist, but also just continuing to raise awareness for my parents three and a half hours in a day. That's a lot of time. And, uh, what, what possibly like how much of that can be redemptive? how much social media in three and a half hours is actually good for uh, the discipleship and the training in godliness and the developing and growing this intimate relationship with Jesus. Is there actually happening, you know, and that sort of thing. And, and um, not in a, again, not in a fear mongering way, but I do think there's something there to be going, we need to look at this and we need to be checking our screen time personally and for our kids. And so that for me, that, that was, that set off some alarm bells. Yeah, I like how you uh, 
mention the discipleship factor because, you know, every minute every, of every day, we're all being discipled um, in some direction, right? Uh, and we talk about this in our seminars that, you know, we think about the structure of technology, we think about the structure of social media, and now we have to be conscious about in what direction are we using this. So in simply stated biblical terms, uh, you know, spiritual terms, we either use it in a direction that promotes and brings about the expansion of the kingdom of God and glorifies God, or we're using it in the opposite direction, which is bringing about the glorification of the expansion of what the scriptures call the kingdoms of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so much of social media, even if it's just seems innocuous um, or benign, what they're looking at, there's still the time factor, right? So an investment is being made in something that's benign that could become addictive as opposed to the investment being made in something that's going to, to further, um, you know, further advance their faith, their faith development and discipleship. And that's not to say that we shouldn't look at things that are benign because there's, there's funny stuff, there's entertaining stuff that's, you know, not unhealthy. Um, and, and I think we need to, you know, be aware of that as well. That's good. That's good. What else? I think um, for me, it was the shocking. There's that amount of time that that Tim mentioned, um, but then also what is being consumed in that amount of time and um, the the access um, to things that, you know, some of it is mindless, like you said, um, or comical or whatever that is, but also, um, the amount of things that are, are harmful or, um, you know, um, just not things that anyone should be looking at bad for kids, mental health, bad for adults, mental health. Right. Um, and it's, as you read through this, there's almost, um, from, uh, kids and from parents, an understanding that like this probably isn't good for me. And there's even this part um, where limits on the use of social media have resulted in mental health benefits for young adults and adults. A small randomized controlled trial in college age youth found that limiting social media use in 30 minutes daily over three weeks led to significant improvements in depression severity. But then it goes on to say like, but people still continued to use it for <laughs> like after that trial, right? It jumps right back up to that like over three hours a day. Um, so it's, I mean, you think about like the surgeon general, you think about like cigarettes or, you know, gambling, whatever it is. And um, I think it's that sort of thing. Like, you you know that this isn't good for you. You know that this is, um, you know, not the best way to be spending your time. And so there's an awareness there of like this is even changing how my brain processes and works but i'm going to continue to do it because i'm addicted to it and maybe students can't verbalize it in that way but that's what's happening yeah um, and and they're aware of it but we're going to continue doing it anyways yeah i i may have shared this story before it's fresh on my mind because it didn't it didn't happen that long ago but i was speaking at a I may have shared it on Youth Culture Matters before, but I'll restate it because it relates, Carrie, to what you were just saying. I was speaking at a local Christian school on digital discipleship. It was a parents' meeting. And before I got up, I was introduced, and the school administrator there said, uh, you know, hey, before Walt gets up, I want to share a story, something that happened in our house just this week. 
and she and her husband have two kids. Uh, at the time, one was 17, and uh, that was a son, and the daughter was 14, almost 15. And she just out of the blue at dinner time verbalized this. She said, I am so excited for my 15th birthday because I get to get a smartphone. And in their house, you know, you're not allowed to get a smartphone until you're 15. That's the threshold of age. And as soon as she said that, you know, verbalized her excitement, her brother, who got his smartphone two years prior when he turned 15, turned to her and just looked at her and very, in a very concerned way said, don't do it. Don't do it. And then he held up his phone and he said, this thing has changed my life in ways that are not good. And my anxiety is, is off the charts because of this. And that's what's interesting to me, that the kids are now noticing it, uh, you know, because for a long time, ah, that's not true. It's harmless, you know, and there wasn't much data out there. And now that the data is starting to come in, there's a parallel movement among kids, of all things. Now, maybe some, maybe more than parents. I don't know. But among kids who are saying, you know, I'm realizing this is not good for me. And so a lot of them are appreciating the borders and boundaries that their parents are putting on them. Because like you said, Carrie, there's that, you know, addiction factor and maybe I can't get away from it. And some of them are stepping up and along with their peers, starting movements to move away from the devices and uh, untether themselves to find some some health and some relief. Yeah. Jason, you're, I, I think you're the one who hasn't said anything yet about the Surgeon General's report. Yes, um, and the part that stuck out to me wasn't what I would have thought would stick out to me, and it, it's it's stuck with me since. And um, it's not so much the, the the very alarming statistics that come, you know, with the amount of use and, and what's being consumed and all of that. It has more to do with something that's said at the beginning of the study um, where they write brain development is a critical factor to consider when assessing the risk for harm. Um, they go on to say, um, if I can find it, uh, frequent social media use may be associated with distinct changes in the developing brain in the amygdala, which is important for emotional learning and behavior, and the prefrontal cortex, which is important for impulse control, emotional regulation, and moderating social behavior, and could increase sensitivity to social rewards and punishments. And what has stuck with me since reading that is, do the parents of the students in our ministry here at the church, are they aware of that truth of um, you know brain development within this age frame that we typically associate with, with student ministry? Um, and have I done a good enough job of helping them to understand um, everything there is to, you know, to know concerning brain development and where their students are so that we can be intentional in helping them develop healthy habits and even thinking about should they have devices? And, you know, the truth is with this study, it's not something that's been produced by a ministry. It's not something produced by a church. Um, you know, it's not intended for fear mongering or anything like this. This is a Surgeon General's warning. And so that enables me to present it to parents and say, you know, there's some scientific stuff that's going on here that we just need to be aware of when it comes to the development of students. And just across the landscape of student ministry, you know, as an educator, I wonder if those who are being trained uh, to, uh, to lead in student ministry, if we are doing a good enough job of making them aware of just who makes up this, uh, these ministries and, and who these students are that we're seeking to uh, to teach and to come alongside for the purpose of discipleship. So, 
you know, in my own home, it's, it's challenged me, you know, am I thinking clearly enough about who my, my children are as I'm making decisions about what they're consuming and, and, and how much they're consuming. Um, so I think just as a student pastor, I think it is, is really important for us to embrace this aspect of coming alongside parents. It's not just the spiritual aspect. It's the very real uh, development aspects that we need to help parents understand concerning their students. Yeah, which indicates that we have to study those things so that we know them and then we're able to, to communicate them. Uh, yeah, for sure. You raise a couple of very good points that I just want to, um, you know, mention here and, and emphasize a little bit. One is, you know, this is a Surgeon General's report. And typically with these things, this has been my experience, these things tend to lag a little bit in the hard sciences where you're looking for data because you want to be sure the data comes in. And, you know, maybe those of us who are face-to-face in our homes with our kids or, you know, boots-on-the-ground youth workers like you folks are, you're with kids all the time, or you're engaging anecdotally as someone who's got a background in the social sciences, you're seeing this, right? And you might point this out, but some some people are more data-driven, so I don't want to jump to those conclusions till the data comes in. Well, the data's coming in, and we have to pay attention. So I like how you said that. The other aspect that I want to emphasize of what you brought up was how uh, t- science and technology, aiding science, is really helping us understand not only human growth and development, but uh, the growth and development of the human brain and the complexity of this incredible organ that God has given us and you know, being able to map the brain, being able to look at uh, the effects of you know, external um, you know, external stimuli on the brain, being able to look at the long-term effects of these things. And I think, you know, even as we've talked here about, you know, chronic traumatic encephalopathy and the effects of the concussion on the brain, and there's more coming out on that. These, these technological devices are allowing those who know how to use them to see into this wonderful thing that God has made, to see how integrated we are as human beings it's not just the food that we put in our body that affects our bodies. It's what we what comes into our ears and our eyes, um, you know, that goes into our brains as well. So, yeah, we need to continue to track with that. We're going to talk more about that when we come back after the break about some of the ways that science is is leading to that. This is good. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with these folks about what's happening in the world of our children, our teens, social media, and technology. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you enjoy listening to Youth Culture Matters and would like to support the ongoing efforts of this ministry, you can do so by visiting cpyu.org giving to make a donation. Your prayers and financial support make this podcast possible. Okay, we're back, and the reality, folks, is that when we take a break, there are many, many good things said. And I find myself saying, "All right, when we come out of the break, we're gonna we're gonna mention those." And so, uh, there was some good conversation during the break. That's that. I think that's a sign of of some good, uh, you know, mojo between all of us as we as we talk about these things. And so, uh, let me let me start, Jason. Let me go to you because you. You cited something else that really struck you that was in the Surgeon General's report. 
Yeah, as you were making your comments right before the break there, um, you know, I, I recall this statement towards down a little bit further in, in the report uh, where they write, our children and adolescents don't have the luxury of waiting years until we know the full extent of social media's impact. So even while we do not know the full extent, I mean, why would we play this game of chicken with our kids? Um, we can take the data that's already in and start to see uh, some of the great dangers that are here, at least enough to where we ought to be taking this seriously as as parents and as student ministry leaders. I like that. Play this game of chicken. That's that's a good that's a good way to to uh, to define it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, but and it was and I've mentioned this before. You know, Marshall McLuhan, who everyone thought he was nuts when he was saying it, but first we shape our tools, he said, and afterwards our tools shape us. And usually we find out how they've shaped or misshapen us, formed or deformed us, um, once they're so embedded in our lives that, you know, it's it's almost too late to turn around and go back without some effort and, and help and a lot of hard work. So, yeah, that's uh, that's good. Um, John Barry, who's here, is working with us now at CPYU. John comes out of the world of uh, science, right? I mean, you're you you come out as a, a science guy, but what what did you say about what you're tracking with? Yeah, so I, I think it's really interesting to track this, and we think about this from a Christian perspective in the Christian church, but there are a lot of people talking about these things outside of that. And I, I listen to and track what's happening in the tech world in a lot of ways. So venture capitalists in the tech world and tech CEOs. And I think it's very interesting that they are acting as parents ahead of the data curve here as well. They understand the impact of some of these technologies that that the rest of us don't really have a good chance to understand. The design of the algorithm and how that leads people in different ways. And the overwhelming majority of these tech entrepreneurs and leaders do not allow their kids to have social media at all until at least 16 and have significant concerns beyond that. And so while we're still waiting on some of this data to emerge, I think that there are places that we can have some wise discerning principles even yeah. outside of the Christian faith and, and Christian circles to guide us. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just good common sense, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not yeah. even rooted in faith, but, you know, so that reminds me to tell everyone if you haven't seen it already or go watch it again what is it, the social dilemma uh that film which you know has really addressed this and it as you were talking there john it kind of it kind of makes me think of you know like those who are um you know producing the meth in the meth labs and distributing it they, they know how dangerous it is dangerous it is so they're keeping it away from themselves and their family perhaps you know, and just making lots of money. So yeah, yeah and so. and we have to remember. I mean, there are some elements of the uh, of our of our government and our capitalist society that 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 drive things in different ways. And I work in I've worked in drug development, and drug development development is very heavily regulated, and you have to prove safety before you can get out there. But things like technologies, it's kind of the opposite. You get it out there, you start monetizing it, you realize health concerns, and then you you have to react retroactively to to fix that. But there's significant incentive out there right now to to promote to even let kids have access to this because there's there's a big market oh, yeah. for for these things right now and so we need to be very careful and discerning in giving our kids access recognizing that these these companies these social media companies are disincentivized to provide appropriate restrictions to our children yeah that's good all right so. That said, to get really practical, Tim had a, and that's practical, but Tim had a really good uh, comment he was making just about his home and his daughter 
during the break. Tim, tell us about that because this is good. Yeah, sure. So uh, where I am in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, uh, in Alberta, our kids get their learner's license at 14. And it's my understanding the reason they have it younger is that it gives them more time to be supervised and we can train our kids to be better drivers, whether it works or not is suspect for basing it on the drivers in Calgary. But um, but I, I think I look at that and I go, so for the last couple of years, as I've been driving with my daughter, I'm constantly talking about uh, safety on the road, how to merge, being aware of, of different scenarios where you want to be cautious, even though you have a green light, someone's turning left, make sure that they're stopped, that sort of thing, uh, with the intent of preventing harm for her as she drives and understanding the dangers of being behind the wheel and driving a multi-thousand pound piece of metal that can do damage. And we're aware of that. And we've got these these stats and things to show the dangers that do exist. And when it comes to uh, social media and screen time, you know, I heard a, a comment that really we're just providing harm reduction for our kids because we understand that it can be harmful. We're just not sure to the full extent to Jason's point and, and even what's written here in the Surgeon General's warning. Um, and so uh, I just think that there's opportunity for us. Like we are going, you need two years to learn to drive a car before you're allowed to drive alone, which I think is wise. But then it's, at you know, parents might throw myself in there. Like here's a phone that has access to things that can do more damage to you in, in a faster rate without considering that or without providing those same restrictions instruction like I do with driving a vehicle uh, when it comes to those sorts of things. And um, it is, and I understand, I do. Uh, so I'll just share this. In our home, we've had um, we've had some emotional conversations with our daughter because we are not letting her get social media. And even in a Christian school, majority of kids in junior high have some sort of social media and I'm just refusing and we have the conversation you're going to be mad at me you may even not like me right now but trust me I love you more than what this world is offering and and so it's it's a fascinating because in the same way that I want to train her to drive a car I I don't want to expose her to the significant damage that can be done because I don't want to be uncomfortable in the home for a period of time yeah, and I and I like the way you're doing that, Tim. You know, along with your wife, and just sticking sticking to it, right? You know, digging in. You know, you put the stake in the ground. You're sticking to it. Um, I love you. I know you might might not like me right now, but she hasn't left, right? I mean, she hasn't. She's there. And my experience is always, and probably all of us on this call right now on this podcast are, we're walking evidence of this that we encountered, if we had parents who loved us and cared for us, we encountered borders and boundaries like that on certain things where they said no and you thought, ah, I don't like you, you know, or, you know, maybe even we uttered, I hate you and screamed and slammed the door. Or however, we do that. And then you grow up and you mature because we're talking about brain development here, right? That's in the that's in the report. And that's what makes them so vulnerable. Then you grow up and you start to see as things get wired up, the, the good sense and the logic and the care and the concern and the love of your parents, and then you become a parent, right? And um, that's when you really realize it, like like what what the other side's like, right? What your parents were going through, and there's so much more now 
that uh, that certainly we have to navigate. So that's really good. Yeah. So uh, so I have this um, I have this example that's really really current uh, since the first of the year. It's really been hitting uh, the news outlets and things and getting a lot of traction on the internet. Um, accessed some of this for the first time on my smartphone and then started to dig in a little more. It's getting some attention on the news, a lot of attention, well-deserved, and it relates to social media, it relates to technology, it relates to parenting, it relates to so many things in today's world. And that's this new phenomenon known as Sephora kids, Sephora girls, Sephora tweens, or Sephora babies. Now, uh, I'm aware of Sephora. I've never bought anything there directly, the makeup store, which is standalone, or I think, you know, maybe they're in JCPenney's right now and some other places. Um, I do believe I've purchased things there, but not directly. So, uh, you know, I, I know that I've stood outside while my wife has gone in there. So it's just packed, you know, with all kinds of, you know, makeup, skincare, things like that. So now there's this phenomena that the the clerks in Sephora are speaking up. And you got to be careful because I wonder if they're trying to get followers by making all these TikTok videos as people are trying to figure out what's going on with these Sephora kids. But it's, it's legit. I mean, there's been news done on this. And so what they're finding is that Sephora is now like a huge after-school hangout for girls, some as young as 9 and 10 years old. These are tweens. These are not even teenagers yet. And, you know, 11 and 12. And these these girls are going in there, and they're trying things using all the testers, you know, that are there, the samplers. Uh, they're opening new products that they shouldn't be opening because they're not purchasing these sealed products. They're leaving an absolute mess in the store as they're trying all these things, sort of like a little gang, I guess. Um, they're rude to the employees, and there's been lots of uh, chatter about how these kids are so stinking entitled, you know, don't tell me to stop, you know, a lot of use of profanity, and then buying a lot of this stuff, sometimes up into the low, maybe higher, I don't know, six figures buying products as little kids using their parents' credit cards, some of which um, are skincare products that really are only appropriate for older people who were trying to you know, prevent aging on their skin, which can do damage these products to young skin. So dermatologists and others are speaking up about this, that you got to get your girls out of there because when they're putting retinol on their skin at nine years old, that's not a good thing. So all of this now, okay, so where did this come from? All right. So there's multiple threads here. I'm thinking about entitlement and how we need to address that. I'm thinking about, you know, disrespect of authority, how we need to address that. I'm thinking about permissive parents, who don't want to say no, or like you, Tim, or, you know, Carrie, uh, Jason, all of us here, you know, we've put up borders and boundaries for our kids. But how did this go viral? All right. So I was, um, I was reading about how, uh, what is it? Drunken Elephant is the, is that the, um, is that the brand I was reading about? I hope I didn't mess that up, but Drunken Elephant so the person who kind of runs Drunken Elephant, which is a brand that's sold in, the, in Sephora, and these kids are coming in and asking for it, she actually was interviewed and she said, well, I did. we're not allowed to offer free product to kids under 18, but I did send uh, our product to Kim Kardashian and Kourtney Kardashian, 
and just happened to mention to them that their daughters might be interested in these products. Now, these daughters are celebrity influencers. At 9 and 11 years old, they're on YouTube, so other 9 and 11-year-old girls are watching them and taking the lead. And I saw clips of the videos that these 9 and 10-year-old, you know, Northwest, Kim Kardashian's daughter, and Penelope Disick, who is, uh, or excuse me, Kim Kardashian's then Penelope Disick, who's Kourtney Kardashian's daughter, they're making these TikTok videos using the skin products, offering tutorials, um, using anti-aging serums, and actually instructing our kids and making this go viral. So the kids are now like, looks like, oh, if she's using it, I got to use it, which is just, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm getting too old for this, right? Um, just as I watch this, I'm thinking to myself, because if you're discerning, you kind of see how this all strings together and how all these different youth culture trends are kind of woven into this fabric that leads to this. And now we hear about this. And this is just, I'm sharing this because it's just one current example of what we've been talking about and how the human brain and someone that's not fully formed and who has not learned wisdom, who has not been brought up to be instructed in discerning truth from lies and is pursuing things that really, you know, go nowhere um, in terms of lifestyle and, and, you know, living out, living out a worldview behaviorally, we see how this just goes viral and it spreads so quickly. You know, you, I, I used to say when we got started here, when I was a teenager, you know, if you want to know, I lived on the East Coast, right, the Northeast. If you wanted to know what the fashion trends were going to be in the Northeast in the next year or year and a half or two years, you just went to California to the other coast and you looked in, to see what people were doing there. And it would, you know, I jokingly say it, the wind from West to East would blow it across. Now it's dropped simultaneously. And just to let's just go on what Tim was just saying. You, you got a kid who's nine years old with a smartphone in their hand. And mom and dad have absolutely no clue what they're accessing in all this time that they're spending there and they're seeing this and it's discipling them. It's catechizing them. It's it's training them up into to who they need to be. So have, have any of you seen this? And I'm not speaking specifically about the Sephora craze. Maybe you've seen that. I don't know. Uh, but beyond that, you know, sort of this the way that this takes root and grows, sort of the process in which this happens. I mean, any comments or thoughts about your students or concerns you have about your kids? I think there are just so many factors at play and what you've hit on so many of them. And just thinking too, um, parents are just constantly playing catch up in a sense um, with this thought of even like, how do you have access to all of this? When I was growing up, the family computer was in the family room and now you have this phone that you can take into like, the bathroom with you, yeah. or into your room or you know behind closed doors there's a lot of things and I think too we've always had influences in our lives all of us um, but for like these previous generations these influences have kind of lasted from like 7.30 to 2 when we were at school or, um, yeah. you know, just on the, you know, whatever clubs you were in, that's kind of who influenced you. But now you do have like these voices, like the Kardashian kids that um, are influencing. I'm always shocked at the number of young girls, like not youth group kids, kids connection kids 
that are so up on like everything that Taylor Swift is doing as you know, we've just come off Super Bowl weekend and everything. They were ready for, and they could tell me like anything I wanted to know about Taylor Swift and, and all of, you know, what's happened there. And, and my daughter is five and she has become totally swept up and she doesn't even know who Taylor Swift is, but she was like, go chiefs. You know, they just get so immersed in the culture that they're in and now because it's everywhere it's not just when they're at school or when they're you know um with their friends in person it's now it's constantly it's it's everywhere they are um and it's on such a larger scale how how did you punish her for that carrie the go chiefs (laughs) yeah i'm curious yeah my uh, husband was not happy right well you guys are (laughs) patriots fans right so yeah, yeah yeah That's another issue, right? Well, we, we, we joke about that all the time with our baseball and our football allegiances. Um, yeah, I, it's just and, – and see, this is where – and I'm thinking, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing you, – you folks are dealing with students when they come into middle school, right, primarily. I don't know, Tim, in your school, maybe earlier. But if we're working just in – we're starting with students at middle school ministry. Imagine the baggage they bring in already that's just weighing them down, that's not been processed or thought about or prophetically spoken to or prevented in the lives of parents, which leads to, you know, ministry implications there. What are we doing to raise the awareness of the kids and what did you say, Carrie, Kids Connection or whatever you might mm-hmm. call it at your yeah, church? Whatever your yeah, whatever kids program. Yeah, whatever yeah. your kids program yeah. is. Are you, I mean, this is something like, you know, John's at, John's at my church uh, here in Lancaster, and you know I went to I went to the children's ministry director a couple of years ago and said, "Hey, have you thought about you know getting our parents' page into the hands of the parents of the preschool kids and the elementary kids because these kids are dealing with this stuff." Yeah. So, and certainly with the phones going in their hands earlier and earlier. I don't know if if the other two, Jason or Tim, if you wanted to comment on that follow up on that with the Sephora kids just in general I think I think what what I see here at the school a couple things I do think um so I think COVID played a a big role what what we've found here and I don't have the the numbers in front of me but just kids that were coming uh into kindergarten and grade one and two in the last couple years post-COVID there's been a number of things, even just socially, that they're, they're just the developments down. I think uh, a number of parents, you know, and myself included, I mean, screen time went like way up uh, during that time. Uh, but then there's also, I think there's this element in my conversations with parents that, uh, and I don't, I don't mean this in a in a shaming way in any way, shape, or form. Just, but something that I've heard is it's almost as though we fear our kids. We're not leading our kids. We're not parenting our kids. We're, we're afraid of how they may respond. It's it. I don't know if it just feels harder to say no. I know my parents didn't have a problem saying no, uh, growing up, uh, things seem to have shifted in that area. And, and in, and then I also just, I feel like things have been thrown at us so quickly that discernment is down. And I would even suggest maybe fatigue is up and because you're just bombarded with requests from your kids to can I can I can I can I can I that that it's it is more challenging maybe not more challenging but it 
you know, in our current cultural moment to just, whoa, let's just slow down here and let's think about the implications of, of giving you a phone right now. What does this actually mean? Big picture. And I don't know that I've ever regretted maybe having a tough conversation in that moment saying no, even if it makes me look archaic or a dinosaur or whatever you want to label it as, um, to be preventative to the damage that could be done by just giving in. And uh, I think there there seems to be a bit of, I almost it almost appears that we have just accepted, well, this is the way it's going, so you just got to buy it. Yeah, you just have to buy it. You just have to do it because that's just the way it is. And that's the messaging to parents. Hey, if you're not doing this, you're falling behind and your kid's going to be, you know, my daughter is convinced that she's missing out on this whole world of stuff that's happening. And I, so I asked her what causes the most drama at our school. And she was immediately on social media. Like, thank you. Uh, point for dad. But, uh, you know, I, I do, I, there seems to be just that we've just kind of accepted this is the way it is. And if you don't, subscribe to this you're missing out your kids are going to miss out they're going to be behind etc cetera, etc cetera. peer pressure isn't just a kid thing it's an adult thing and you know long before social media long before the internet was a thing i think about um you know some of the the, the stuff that i was reading just about the hurried david elkind writing about the hurried child and all grown up and no place to go and you know talking about these same dynamics that you're mentioning here and you know, overprivileged kids and not being able to say no, the shift in parenting. And it's funny when you mentioned your dad, we all started nodding here in our studio because uh, we realized we, we were told no. My dad didn't have to say no, nor did my mom. There was a look, you know, the no was after the look. And if I got to the no, I mean, the look was bad enough and I knew there was trouble coming um, when we were out of uh, public view. Let's say when well, we were alone behind closed doors and yeah, yeah. You yeah, just one other thing to comment on this. I think it's so challenging because the, the, the pace of change with trends and with technology evolution, it's so hard to keep up with. And to your point, Tim, as parents, it's exhausting to do that. These, the, the kids are also so proficient at it and they become so proficient at it so quickly there is no way that I'm able to keep up with the pace of change and know how to parent my kids appropriately. They're always going to be ahead of me. And, and so they have to have discernment. I, I cannot control them into doing exactly what I want them to do or how I want them to handle it because of the pace of change here. And so thinking as a parent, I, I always focus on how can I parent their heart in order for them to be discerning. Um, in, in, in doing this, because they will find a way around any sort of restriction, any sort of FaceTime or, or, or whatever it is um, with, with different, different platforms, Android or, or, or Apple. They have these programs to help protect, um, protect with time, but there's ways around all of them. Um, and there's nothing that's foolproof. So these the, the kids have to have discernment and wisdom and desire holiness in their lives, which is another reason to argue for kids maybe being a little bit older before they're given access yeah. to these things. So they've developed those skills of of discernment and they've walked a little bit longer with the Lord. Yeah, and you're 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 talking about uh, nurturing the heart because you yeah. want it to come from a transformed heart. Yeah. Not behavioral, you know, conformity because I can get I can't get away with this in front of my parents, 
but I'll do it when I'm not around. Yeah, yeah behavior modification yeah. will yeah. not work yeah. with these things. It yeah. cannot work because the pace of change and their technological sophistication is too high. Yeah. So, so here's another way to, to, to kind of peel back from this, all right? And one of the stories I gave you folks uh, to look at, I don't know if you all had a chance to look at it or not, was the story from up where Carrie is in Massachusetts. Uh, I don't know where this school is exactly, Carrie, but the, the Buxton Boarding School, are you familiar with that? Or, uh, no, I've never heard of it. Okay, it's somewhere up there. Oh, it's in the Berkshires. Okay, so it's over on the western side. Um, beautiful as well, but I continue to be most jealous of you and where you live, Carrie, on the North Shore. So at the Buxton Boarding School, this story came out that they uh, had a novel, simple yet novel experiment, banning cell phones or smartphones on campus. And instead, the school gave everyone on campus, including the staff, what's called a light phone, which is a dumb phone with limited functionality. They can make calls, they can send texts slowly, but they can't load modern apps. Instead, they get cumbersome versions of music and mapping apps, and the, the, these phones are about the size of a deck of cards with a black and white screen. So, like, it's really a step back uh, from what our kids are used to. But here's the thing. After the year of doing this, it says most everyone agrees that the school is better off, I quote, without these hell devices, and that includes the students. So, Fewer interruptions during class, more meaningful interactions around campus, and less time spent on screens. And this is where, like, you know, like the anxiety factor, the mental health things. If our kids would just experience what life is like without these, these things that cause this. I mean, we're not talking about all the time, but peeling back with borders and boundaries, as we're talking about here, give them a breath of fresh air, and they suddenly realize, man, I've just been breathing in pollution. This is nice, you know, to, to have this time away from this stuff. So one of the seniors, she, she said, um, I think people are a lot more social, which, boy, that, that's a whole other thing, you know, the lonely, loneliness epidemic, which was talked about in some of these reports as well. Yeah, just ask, before the break, what have you folks done? Have you built in some opportunities for kids to experience this time without phones? And if so, what are they? I know, Jason, you talked about uh, coming up on the retreat. You've got that, got that planned in. But any other spaces you've created, how you've done that? Yeah, beyond that, just um, for the promotion of spiritual disciplines. We cannot grow without spiritual disciplines. And I, I see this sorely lacking in student ministry that we don't help students understand what these disciplines are. And then beyond that, um, give them space and time to be able to put them into practice. And so one of the things that we have tried to do, um, you know, fairly consistently is um, offer opportunities for spiritual uh, discipline practice. And so we'll come to the church together and, um, you know, no technology, just with a Bible, a pen, and a journal. Um, we'll, we'll read the same passage together, and then students will go off for an hour and a half. And uh, we've written guides to help them through that, to ask, um, you know, appropriate questions of the passage and just to journal and to reflect. And then after that hour and a half is over, we all come back together and just share um, how that time went and what we learned and, and how we believe the, the Spirit used the Word in our hearts and, and to challenge us. And, um, you know, every time we do that, we have students who thank us for it. Um, and sometimes students will be really honest and say, you know what, I didn't get much out of the Bible study. They don't, they don't you know, they're, maybe they're not walking with the Lord, you know, but they will say, thank you for just an hour and a half of quiet, because I don't ever experience that. So, you know, we have to we have to set up not only to, not only to voice the 
the reasons why we ought to do this. Um, and with spiritual disciplines, highlighting them and teaching about them, we need to give them space to practice it, um, to see that that time is good and necessary for us. Yeah, this is good. I We're going to take a break here. When we come back, I'm, I'm going to throw out something a little controversial. The last thing we talk about, and I want to see where you folks land on this. I brought this up many times over the years, more recently in uh, youth ministry training. It's always interesting to see how different folks respond. Uh, but there's some data coming out now that's been a little bit helpful. And so I want to talk through this when we get back and then some implications from that. It's going to be a spring off, Jason, from what you just shared with us. We'll be right back. Youth workers, we're thrilled to announce that registration is now open for our second annual Northeast Youth Ministry Summit to be held from March 4 to 7, 2024 in beautiful Ligonier, Pennsylvania. This practical and hope-filled youth ministry training conference is co-sponsored by CPYU and our friends at Reformed Youth Ministries. Our theme this year is Cultivating Wisdom and Discernment. You will experience theologically sound youth ministry training, a great sense of community, rich times of worship, exposure to great resources, and opportunities to grow in your effectiveness at ministering to the emerging generations. Last year's first ever Northeast Youth Ministry Summit was a great time of being equipped, connected, and encouraged. Space is limited, so you will want to register soon. You can learn more, see the schedule, meet the speakers, and register at nymsummit.org. That's nymsummit.org. So I want to remind everybody that uh, you can go to cpyu.org and go to the page for this particular episode of the podcast and scroll down. Chris Wagner will put there links to everything that we've mentioned, even the grassroots. You're going to put a link to the grassroots on there. Okay, we'll get a link to the grassroots uh, so you all know who they are. Uh, But we'll put links there so you can access all these stories, all these studies, and some other helps that are there. Uh, Chris, I'm going to ask Chris to add as well uh, a couple of the resources that we consistently recommend here related to the online world and how to think uh, critically and Christianly about social media and technology. So we'll include some resources there as well. But the the issue I wanted to end with, and we're just going to take a few minutes on this uh, before we bring this episode to a close, is this. Screens versus paper. Screens versus paper. So early on, I was anecdotally pushing youth workers in my seminars on digital technology, don't jettison the Bibles, because the the logical thing you would think of is when you are looking at a Bible on a screen, you can also have multiple windows open, and your attention can go every which way. And I think that's a greater temptation now than ever before because of all the different social media platforms that are out there. But then I started to see data that came out. It was coming from MIT and Stanford where, and some of this appeared on um, uh, on PBS and some of the specials they were running back then. I can't remember all the names of them. But they would, they would talk about some of the researches that was being done where they would uh, get teenagers um, or even, even adults to read on paper and read on a screen, and they would track somehow electronically their eye movements just to see, do we read differently on a screen than we do on a paper page or in a book? 
And so the bottom line was when that came out, I felt a little bit vindicated because it said that when we read on a page, we read line by line, left to right. We don't skip lines unless you're a speed reader or just trying to cheat your way through it. On the screen, however, we read in an F pattern, which means that we go all the way across as they track the eye movements, the first line. Then we come back, and instead of going to the second line, we drop down several lines. And then think of a capital F, you know, that second line there. Uh, doesn't go all the way across the page, then go back, drop down some more, come across even less on whatever line you choose to be on. And the the conclusion was, okay, we do read differently, and the reason is that when we're on the screen, we've been trained to look for uh, keywords and hyperlinks. And maybe that's changed over time as, you know, what we see on our screens has changed. But that was quite compelling. And now um, there's, and I shared this with you folks, a study that comes out on, uh, from uh, research in the world of education, and the title is A Groundbreaking Study Shows Kids Learn Better on Paper, Not Screens. And it was basically looking at uh, early or let's say middle adolescence, you know, low-end 13-year-olds and, and such like that. And they were saying that there has been a decline, as they've measured over time, in the ability to engage in uh, what's called, you know, text comprehension or deep reading. And so uh, there's a survey or a study that's going to come out very soon from Columbia, the North Scientist at Columbia University's Teachers College, and has, they have concluded from their research that de- uh, with, in terms of deeper reading, there is a clear advantage to reading a text on paper rather than on a screen where shallow, quote, shallow reading was observed. And uh, this was in looking at kids ages, ages 10 to 12. So these are, and by the way, the study's useful because the age of the participants was during that three-year period that is critical, they say, in reading development since fourth grade is when a crucial shift occurs from what another researcher describes as learning to read to reading to learn. Learning to read, you're shifting from learning to read to reading to learn. And it's that, what we talked about earlier, that, that crucial period of, uh, of brain development. So thoughts, and, and practically speaking, I have strong opinions on this, but all of you here, I'm curious to hear from you where you've landed on this and what are some best practices that you've enlisted, if in fact you've enlisted best practices, and if you haven't, we'll just issue punishments to you. Um, Actually, no. I want to hear what you're what you're thinking about this and your best practices, because I think this is an important topic. We're actually working through right now in our student ministry um, a process called Seven Arrows. It's just a very simple hermeneutical tool um, that lists seven key questions that we ought to always ask of the text um, in order to arrive at at proper interpretation and proper application. Um, and it struck me even going through that um, that we can't do this digitally very well. Um, if we are going to truly interact with the text, interact with the scriptures and ask these questions, um, it's just really hard to do uh, with, a, with a digital, you know, glowing screen in front of us. And so just, you know, just recently going back through that, it's reaffirmed for me the importance of, of the printed word before us. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is um, I have I love to phrase scripture. That's what causes me to slow down and make some decisions about what the scriptures are actually saying. Um, And uh, that's where I always start. Anytime I'm teaching, I start by phrasing the passage, unless it's a um, narrative-driven passage. 
Um, and so um, when I'm able to on Sunday nights when our students gather and I'm teaching, I will put the phrasing up on the board behind me and I give them a physical sheet of paper with my phrasing on it. And I invite them to interact with the text as we are working through together as I'm interacting on the board. And, you know, I, I think that that gives them the advantage of learning how to interact with the text rather than just browsing through the text. And, you know, something that's said in this article that you're referring to, uh, it says for deeper reading, there is a clear advantage to reading a text on paper rather than on a screen where shallow reading was observed. I and mean, what do we want kids relationship to the Bible to be? I don't want it to be a shallow relationship. I want it to be a deep relationship. And so I think this just undergirds the importance of, you know, challenging students to interact with the with a with a real physical Bible in front of them. And there's a difference even by with scrolling and turning the page. It just slows us down and causes us to um, have a more deep interaction with whatever we're reading, I believe, when we use a physical paper. Uh, Jason, just for anybody who's not familiar with the term you used, phrasing, uh, would you explain that just a little bit further? And Sure. It's um, breaking uh, the Scripture into phrases, um, and the phrasing portion then is you are leaving the main phrases all the way to the left side of, of whatever paper you're using if you're writing or if you're typing it out. You can do it either way. Um, but then you're taking all the subordinate phrases and moving them then underneath the word that they modify or the phrase that they modify. So for me, I'm a very visual learner. And when I begin by phrasing the text, it, it almost gives me a visual representation of what the author is intending to convey um, by moving those phrases around and making those connections and identifying those relationships within the text. Yeah, that's good. And, and I'm just going to say this, that as a guy who's older, um, you know, the Bible never runs dry. And I, I liken it to a uh, bottomless treasure chest that the digger you deep, uh, the, the, the deeper you dig, uh, the more you're going to uncover greater and greater value in terms of the treasure. And that's the beauty of, you know, just like a, a, a short phrase like you're saying, you know, I go back and I read these things that I've underlined again, and I'm finding the deep meaning. And then when you get in, you know, of course, we have the advantage of having gone to seminary and learning Greek and learning Hebrew and knowing how to use those tools. And, and any youth, youth worker can find those tools to be helpful, whether they know Greek or Hebrew or not. But just to dig deep and, and to show your students that uh, this is not like a book you read once and you're done. You read, you keep reading, and it's like digging deeper into that treasure chest. So is there a—can I see this? Is there a practical tool uh, on phrasing that we could— or maybe you could recommend or we could post? Maybe Yes, not. I was introduced to it uh, through Bill Mounts's book. Uh, oh, Bill Mounts, yeah. Greek, Greek for the Rest of Us. He, he yeah. introduced it to me through that book. But there's a wonderful website called BibleArc, B-I-B-L-E-A-R-C, dot uh, com or dot org I'm not sure but if you just if you look up Bible Arc and they've got some wonderful uh, tools on there where you can employ different strategies but they also have classes that will walk you through what they call Bible arcing phrasing um, even the more um, what's it called um, diagramming. Yeah, uh, diagramming so they have different strategies on there that you can learn more about it's a, it's a great great website yeah the language it's so rich yeah bill mounts i knew i knew bill mounts long time he was up at gordon conwell for a while so uh yeah good resource what about uh, any other responses from the rest of you on this whole paper to uh 
you know, or screen. John, what, John, let me let me ask you because you during the break uh, you told us something that's pretty radical in today's world of uh, you know projected technology. Yeah, yeah. So in our youth group, we we only use physical Bibles um, for for almost everything. And so when we're reading passages of Scripture, we don't project it up. We actually have seventy or so Bibles, maybe even a hundred Bibles in our youth room. Our youth pastor actually stops. Let's students go get the physical Bible if they didn't bring their own. Not allowed to use a, a, a phone version of the Bible, and and they're actually physically following along. Yeah, yeah. Which is, again, it seems like so. When you first say that to some people, it's going to sound incredibly radical. Yeah. Like, why would we not do that? That's what everybody does. You know, that's why we have those screens and everybody said, no, you know, like let's get them, let's back them off of that and train them, you know, to read. And, yeah. th- and then they have the opportunity. This is what is explained why we do this. They yeah. have the opportunity to look at context. If there's something that's confusing to yeah. them, they can go back and read it again, even after the screen has moved on from it. And I will say we got a little bit of pushback. There was a little bit of eye rolling and groaning the first few times we did it. But the kids expect it now, and and they just move, roll along right with it. Yeah. Good, good. Anybody else? Um, we're the same way. We've always encouraged the use of physical Bibles. And um, I, I did have one student at one time um, that said, well, I like to highlight things and I don't like to do it in my physical Bible. I like to do it on my phone. Um, so if there was something that we were reading and, and it helped them to follow along, I would actually print out what we were going to be reading mm-hmm. <laughs> and they could highlight it there. Um, and then they could go home and highlight it on their phone there. Yeah. Um, and I think, too, there's a part of it. Um, I want students to know when we're talking about the book of John or the book of Job, I want them to know physically where that is in scripture and where that stands throughout, you know, within the book. And there, I, that just gets lost if they're just searching it on their phone, too. So there's, um, you know, they're not doing those sword drills as much anymore. <laughs> Do you remember those? Yeah. Um, but physically know where in God's word, um, you know, is this in the Old Testament? Is this in the New Testament? Is this within the Gospels? Is this, you know, within the other epistles? Where where am I looking? Where am I seeing this? Um, I want students to physically be able to to see where in context of of God's larger story we are. I, I, you know, like some people are listening. They don't know what sword drills are. We, we didn't call them sword <laughs> drills. We called them Bible drills because, uh, we weren't allowed to have weapons in church. But anyway, we would have this. And I'm telling you, as a pastor's kid, I had to win. Like, I'm not, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. me saying I had to win. Everyone expected me to win. You know, like, like what, what are you, you know, pastor, what are you raising there if he can't win a Bible drill? And so there was always, I mean, my heart would just sink whenever we had those, you know. Uh, oh, man, yeah. You know, that, that would that'd actually be a fun thing to bring back. Um, you say, okay, let's see who can find this the fastest and, you know, get them, get them going with that. And then, and then, I recently, I recently found out that our, our fifth and sixth grade Sunday school teacher at our church does Bible drills. And I was thrilled to hear that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's so old school, right? But, you know, let somebody win and then just let's make it contemporary. Just give everyone a trophy, you know, let everyone know, you know, you're, you're okay. Yeah. So yeah, you don't want to demean those who can't do it. Uh, but yeah, it was always like the visitor kids 
who couldn't do it, and you, you wound up feeling bad for them. But, yeah. Anyway, only thing I ever want in life, right? Um, yeah. Tim, anything from you, you know, there at the school? I, or Yeah, no, I mean, I think, like, we – I use a physical Bible whenever I'm doing our, our chapels or class devotions, that sort of thing. I – I'm probably not the one to speak to the benefits of you. So, so we use Chromebooks for sure all through junior high and into some elementary grades, um, you know, what the benefits might be. I I just know that um, like everything we do is, is online now, it's, especially like in junior high, we no longer get a physical copy of a report card. It's in the software that we use as a school. So even parents, we have to go and, and use it. Um, so not necessarily talking specifically about reading. Uh, and I know that Chromebooks can be an issue, uh, can be an issue. There probably are some, some benefits, but I know for, I mean, for me, I think specifically if we're talking about scripture, like I agree with, with Jason and Carrie, I mean, just to see a verse, put up on a screen by itself. Uh, yeah, I just see, I see much more benefit to holding a physical copy in your hands going, what was said before, what said after. Yeah. Um, and, and all those sorts of things. Cause that's what, I mean, that's what makes, yeah. Gives us actually the meaning of the text and that sort of thing. So yeah. that's good. And, and I think, you know, having that Bible there too, the physical Bible, um, you know, like you, you've said, just to start in Genesis, go to revelation, flip through and give them very quickly what you're holding in your hand is a record of redemptive history, God's revelation of redemptive history, and, and help them see that because some of them don't understand that, and that will help uh, help with that. Well, this is good. I'm going to ask you all for a closing um, push. Uh, you know, what would you say, a little bit of advice as we've had this conversation, where would you say if you had a room full of youth workers what would be the advice that you'd give them? I'll go to the three of you who are full-time in ministry. Let me start with Jason. I know you probably have it in front of your mind what you'd say. (laughs) I've got uh, two things. One is very quick, and that is uh, parents are not our enemies. They're not our rivals. Um, And it's very easy to just just go at them as if they are. Um, You know, and, and one of the reasons why I neglected good parent ministry for so many years in my own ministry is because of my own arrogance. I thought I knew better, and I viewed parents as an obstacle, and they are not. Um, I, I jotted this down as we were thinking, you know, as I was thinking about that a few minutes ago. We cannot be any more for students than when we are for parents, and I think we've got to, you know, we've got to understand that. Uh, the other thing is um, theology matters. Um, theology matters because that's what shapes our convictions. And one of the things we have to encourage parents um, with is the understanding that if we are just dealing with situation by situation by situation in our culture, we are going to be trampled by the culture. It's so important that we understand what our theological convictions are, and then that conviction informs how we're going to respond to the next situation. And in some ways, I'm afraid that even in student ministry so often, we just deal with situation after situation after situation. And, you know, even lately with streaming and streaming uh, services, I had a conversation with our elders here. Um, We shouldn't do that because of pragmatic reasons. We should do that because our conviction allows for it. What do we believe about the church? What do we believe about corporate worship? 
And then that baseline conviction is going to inform the decisions that we make, even in, in regard to streaming. It's the same thing in, in all matters. Um, I want my decisions to flow out of convictions that are shaped by God's word and his truth, not just trying to decide what I'm going to do in the moment to every situation that arises. And so that's one of the greatest things that I think we can we can do for parents is help them think through convictionally where they stand. Yeah, two, two follow-ups to what you said uh, to recommend a couple of resources. One would be, and I'm waiting for it to arrive today, and I can't remember the title of it, but Carl Truman's new book, which is about creeds and confessions, which that drives us back into helping us systematize and, and organize and convey and communicate Christian doctrine more clearly as we teach our kids. So uh, that would be a good one. Chris will include a, a link to that title unknown in my head right now. Uh, the other one is, you know, Jason, you just had an article with Youth Pastor Theologian with Mike McGarry, and it was on this whole thing, right, about, about uh, parents. Is that the one you, you just did? Yeah, that's right, just encouraging yeah. younger student ministry leaders in, in some ways just really birthed out of my own regrets. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so. we'll, we'll, uh, we, uh, a lot of us who are older have those regrets. And so, I mean, that's how we got started here at CPYU so, so long ago. But we'll include a link to that. Carrie, how about you? Yeah, um, just going back uh, to when we started this conversation, I think the more that we can, um, as a church, equip parents with um, some of that information that that is out there about, um, you know, what's going on in the lives and in the minds of, of kids. Um, and my big thing to parents is always like, if your kids are on a platform, you should be on that platform. You should know how that platform works um, and, you know, what the algorithm leads your kid to, right? Like we have some parents that say, well, I only let them be friends with these people and it's like well that's fine but what those friends like then becomes a part of what <laughs> your kid sees on their for you page or whatever you know um so having an understanding of what those um uh, social media platforms actually do and give to people i think is important yeah. um yeah and then just uh the the engaging younger families um with this we've been just trying to do that more at our church. We're reading, or I'm reading right now, um, Habits of the Household, and um, it's excellent. And we're planning on doing a um, like a book group, book study uh, with our young families. And it touches on um, the focus on, um, you know, electronics and things like that. Screen time seems to be more geared towards um, like television than technology, uh, but still, a great resource there yeah, that um, transfers so over just, yeah for sure um so just um allowing time for conversation with, with uh, among other parents i think is a something that the church can offer yeah so a couple yeah. resources that come to mind as you talk about resourcing parents one would be uh and these are here at cpyu one would be just to go to our website cpyu.org where chris is updating that with some of the latest news a lot of it related to technology in fact I think just about every article that we mentioned here today, uh, you can link to up there. So he'll keep that feed going so you can uh, stay abreast of those things. And then um, Claire Harris, one of our research fellows here, wrote a parent prompt on one of the platforms a while back that you can download. You go, go to cpyu.org, to the parent prompts, and uh, it's on Be Real, the social media platform Be Real. So 
we'll we'll keep funneling those things to parents. So stay uh, stay in touch with us. All right, who's getting the final word here? Tim. I don't. Well, I I just think uh, if I were speaking to youth workers and even parents, I just I think there's there's room for us to just remind ourselves that we serve a God who is on his throne and loves our students more than we ever could. And just to alleviate some of the panic that I think can set in, um, maybe, maybe I'm just preaching to myself on that one, but I just need that reminder. Um, I think the second thing I would say is it's not too late to make change if change is needed. I think uh, it becomes a, I don't know, it can feel as though we can't, it's already happened. What are we going to do now? Well, let's, let's make some changes. Let's, let's, bring back some boundaries. Let's bring back some uh, restrictions, whatever we need to do uh, for the good of our kids and the glory of God. And, and then finally, just, I think Paul's encouragement to uh, in Romans five of, of just our call to persevere and, and that we do need to persevere and, and really that, that hope, uh, it doesn't bring us to shame and that there's going to be things that require us, I would suggest on a consistent basis to persevere that it's not, um, we don't get to provide answers that take away or change circumstance. I think we look to, we ask God to change circumstance. And what I'm praying more for myself is that God would just give me faithfulness and, and an ability to persevere in, in the face of a culture that it sounds so, but I mean, in many ways is trying to destroy families. And, and so I think just that call to persevere is really important. Yeah. Good. I love this. Great conversation. I appreciate all of you. I appreciate your smarts, your humility, your you know willingness to dig in on these things and, and think critically and Christianly, as we say here. And uh, what a benefit to those who are listening. So thanks. Thanks to all of you. Uh, folks, thanks for listening. Again, go to cpyu.org. Find the uh, episode page for this episode. Scroll down. You'll find all the show notes and links to all the resources. And we will connect with you on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.